We are so glad you are here joining us at the Orchard, whether you are in the building or whether you are online joining with us live right now, or if you are listening later on in the week. So glad. Uh, we're in the middle of a teaching on Joseph in, in, the, in the book of Genesis. And the challenge each week is that for those of you who've been with us for a year, you know exactly where we are in the story. You're going to pick it up where we left off last week. But for others of you, uh, this might be your first time, and you're like, I have no idea what's been happening. And, and so the challenge is to always have, and this is, this, is, this is the easy part for me. Did you know I cannot preach good enough to really do anything in this room? That's such a relief as a preacher. I have to have God come through. God has to speak to your heart to have any spiritual decisions made, just like my friend Alexis here. Oh, so we are praying that God would move in power today, that whether this is your first time joining us or you've missed, and you missed some or whether you're picking right up with us, God has something for you today in the life of Joseph. And I'm excited to, to show you about it. Now let's do a quick review on Joseph. If you remember, uh, Joseph was a 17-year-old kid. He was favored by his father. He was given a, a robe, a coat of many colors. And he was the favorite of all the brothers. And the brothers were jealous. And what did they do? They threw him in the pit. And he was there in the pit. And then they, they were going to kill him. They decided, let's not kill him. So let's make some money. So they sold him into slavery, human trafficking, and sent him off. He was taken to Egypt. And there in Egypt, he worked for a man named Potiphar uh, and, uh, as a slave. And he, he did well there. God was with him in each of these places. And there it was Potiphar's wife who, who tried to get him to make some very bad decisions. And he, when he resisted temptation... She tore off his robe, he fled, and he found himself being cast into prison for a crime he did not commit. Then we have, and last week in the story, the cupbearer of King Pharaoh showed up, the person who would hand the cup of wine to Pharaoh. He was there in prison, and he had a dream, and Joseph interpreted the dream and said, in three days, you're going to be raised back up to your position with Pharaoh, and he goes, this. he ends with this, when you get there, remember me. When you get out of here, Get me out of here. That's what, that's, what, that's what we had Joseph saying. And the last thing I left you with last week was these four words, two full years later, after he asked the cupbearer to get me out of here. Two full years go by. And what I want to focus on here in this, in this time is that Joseph is suffering. He's a prisoner in a king's dungeon. And likely, Joseph this was what he thought the rest of his life would be like. Unlike us, he didn't get to read the next chapter of Genesis and know what was coming. Just like you don't know what's next in your life. He is just living, and this is his life now. One of my favorite theologians, A.W. Tozier, talks about suffering and how God uses it to make his people ready by giving them great character. And Tozier says this quote, God brings us through trials as preparation for greater use in his kingdom. As a loving father, I'm going to say something to you. God is a loving father. God cares more about your character than your happiness. Let me say it again, because it's kind of hard. God cares more about your character than your happiness. Now, that might be hard to imagine because he's a loving God. Of course, he wants you to be happy, right? But let me just put it this way. I would rather my kids have greater character than be happy. Happiness is the temporary condition of getting what you want when you want it. Character is a forge within you that you can choose joy even when circumstances are terrible. Parents, be cautioned in appeasing your children with the goal of making them happy and forgoing the character building that comes with going without. 
So God cares more about your character than your happiness. But honest, if we're honest, if we just take a poll in here, who wants to suffer for character? We would all say, nope, not me. We want the character, but we don't want the pain. We don't want the trials. And if we do go through a trial, if, we're, if I am going to go through a hardship, well, you know what? I want to be able to choose what it is. I want to choose how long it lasts and, and probably the intensity of it. You see, we want the wisdom and experience and the faith and the character that comes from passing through a difficult season. But we don't want the brokenness and tears that come with it. A lot of our lives, just like us, Joseph is going through some dark valleys. And Joseph is not in control of the timing of his of his time there in prison. He's not in control of the release. He's not in control of the intensity. Again, for all he knows, there's no end to this hell that he's experiencing. And perhaps today you're in something right now and you have no idea when it's going to end. And you don't see an end in sight. You're in a dark season, a dark valley, a painful, hard circumstance. It's been like this for a while maybe. And you don't know if it's ever going to end. This could be life now. You could be right where Joseph is. But as Tozier and many sages have said, God often does his deepest work in the darkest seasons of our lives. And Joseph, remember, 17-year-old Joseph had grand dreams. In fact, he told his brothers, you're all going to bow down to me. Told mom and dad, hey, even you are going to bow down to me. Larry Crabb, he talks in his book, Shattered Dreams, about what Joseph went through. He says, quote, shattered dreams are never random. They are always a piece of a piece of a larger story. And the Holy Spirit uses the pain of our shattered dreams to help us discover our desire for God and to help us begin dreaming the highest dream. They are ordained opportunities for the Spirit to awaken the highest dream in us. You see, Joseph's dreams have been shattered, but God is forging a new dream, a higher dream within him, one that has less to do with people bowing down to him and has more to do with being the kind of man who can walk with God whether he's wearing a royal robe or slave's rags. What Joseph is going through here in this story, it's not unique. And my hope and my prayer, and many of you have echoed this to me, is that you have found your own story in Joseph's life in the past weeks, the pit, and then working without purpose for Potiphar and, and then the, the prison you found yourself in there, but we all have our seasons of loss and hardship. But, but what about the, the, the Bible? You know, I mean, we look at this book, and, and George MacDonald puts it this way. George MacDonald says, most of the Psalms were conceived in the wilderness, and most of the New Testament was written in prison. The greatest words of the Scriptures have all passed through great trials, the greatest prophets have learned in suffering what they wrote in their books. When our God is about to make, us, make use of a person, he allows them to go through the crucible. So take comfort, afflicted Christian. The question is, we go through these seasons. The question is, what, what, when, when dreams are broken, when, when valleys are dark, when diagnoses are bad, when circumstances happen to us, what is God forging in us? What does he want what is the goal that God's working toward to, to build in us and break something off of us? What is it God wants? And what is God looking for? What is he building? I'm telling you, he's building people who look more like him. He wants you to look more like him. He wants you to love like him, to, to lead your business or your family like him. He wants you to, to see other people the way he sees them, to speak like he does, to give like he does, to, to, to look more like him. 
And what we're seeing in Joseph's life is the transformation of this cocky young kid who goes to the pit, Potiphar, and then prison, to a young man who looks a lot more like the God he refuses to lose faith in. Now let's jump into Genesis 41. There's, there's a lot of text today. I'm going to read fast, so you're just going to have to keep up, okay? Two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed he was standing by the bank of the Nile River. In his dream, he saw seven fat, healthy cows come up out of the river and began grazing in the marsh grass. Then he saw seven more cows come up behind them from the Nile, but these were scrawny and thin. These cows stood beside the fat cows on the riverbank. Then the scrawny, thin cows ate the seven healthy, fat cows. At this point, Pharaoh woke up. <gasps> wow. The cow dream. Cow on cow crime. Verse five, he fell asleep again, had a second dream. This time he saw seven heads of grain, plump and beautiful, growing as a single stalk. Then seven more heads of grain appeared, but they were shriveled and withered by the eastern wind. And these thin heads swallowed up the seven plump and well-formed heads, and Pharaoh woke up again and realized it was a dream. The next morning, like after getting up, he was very disturbed so he immediately calls for his magicians and wise men of Egypt. In ancient Egypt, like many ancient cultures, they believed that dreams were, were messages from the gods. And, and the Egyptians especially, we have some catalogs of this, they had magicians and these pagan spiritualists who, when someone had a dream, they would record the dream in a book and they would watch the life of the person to see what would happen. Well, they dreamed that they showed up at work naked or were falling. Did that happen in their life? Like, are these things happening? What's from God? What do dreams mean? Dream interpretation became a spiritual practice of these pagan priests who would go through rituals and, and great pains to interpret the dreams of the kings and queens. And the better they did, the higher they, they rose. But they didn't have divine insight. They were merely using humanity's best guesses about what it could mean. It's like horoscopes of today, you know, like a person divining what's going to happen in my life and the life of millions of people who share my birth month because, you know, uh, Jupiter's in Gatorade or retrograde or some sort of aid, like something's happening and now, oh no. Um, so Pharaoh would have an entire group of magicians and pagan priests who would give their wisdom on, the ma on these matters. But, but he tells them this very specific dream. He's deeply troubled. And their best efforts, they got nothing. They, can't, they cannot do it. When Pharaoh told them his dreams, none of them could tell him what they meant. He's troubled. And he ought to be. Did you know that Egypt's wealth and dominance is tied to cattle and wheat, the two topics of his dreams? He would be troubled greatly as he saw the, the fat cows and the plump wheat being overtaken. And then the cow was often a symbol of the Egyptian goddess Isis. Like, is she sending me a warning? What's happening here? But what do we know? We know who's sending the dream. We know who's sending this message. God is sending this dream to him for a reason. And here's the reason. God is making a way for someone. God is working in high palaces to open doors for a person he has been preparing in a prison. And God still does this. I hope you know this. God still does this for his people. God is working above you to prepare things. He's working in you so he can someday call you up and out to work through you in a new and different way. God has been forging faith and character in your life that you will be trusted when you rise up to the next level. God has something prepared for each of us, each person. But guess what? Today you might not be ready for the next season. He will prepare you for the purposes that he has for you. The hard part is, 
This is the hard part to preach. Like Joseph, the preparation often comes through trial and through hard seasons. Pits and Potiphar and prisons. Verse 9. Finally, the chief's cupbearer, who happened to be there in the room with the cup of wine, comes to his senses. Oh, today I have been reminded of my failure, he told Pharaoh. He's reminded he was supposed to tell Pharaoh something about someone, a, a Joseph, two years ago. Some time ago, I, you were angry at me and the chief baker. You imprisoned us in the palace uh, of the captain of the guard. One night, the chief baker and I were, each had a dream, and each dream had its own meaning. There was a young Hebrew man with us in prison who was a slave of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he told us what each of the dreams meant. He interpreted these dreams. But guess what, Pharaoh? Everything happened just as he predicted. I was restored to my position as your cupbearer. Like, like this guy knew I would be back here before you did, Pharaoh. And the, and the chief baker, yeah, he got impaled on a pole. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this dream has troubled Pharaoh. It troubled Pharaoh so much, he's like, you know what? Let's summon a slave. Bring me a slave to help me. Magicians, step back. Wise men of my courts. So 14, Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once. Now, now put yourself in Joseph's shoes here. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Just for a minute, as best you can. You've been, a, you've been in prison for years. Two years after the cupbearer left, who was your last hope. And guess what? Your entire life is monotony. It's the worst Groundhog Day ever. It's the same day over and over. The same food, the same, everything's the same. This is your life now. You wake up, you, you put on your slave garments. You, you get ready for the day because the chief of the guard will, will be in and things must be in order and prepared. And then you have to make your rounds because we've learned that, that Joseph also takes care of some of the prison prisoners. You've done this every day. Your life is stuck on repeat. You've been forgotten in this place. I mean, your parents have forgotten you. Your brothers have forgotten you. Potiphar and his devious wife have forgotten you. Life has forgotten you. Forgotten by the cupbearer even who was supposed to help you. And how, how long have you been down here doing the same thing? You hear the opening of the outer doors indicating that the, the chief of the guard is coming. But when the doors open, however, for, for, for once, something new is happening, something different then what's on repeat? Pharaoh's guards, personal guards come in. They look at you and they say, the king demands your presence. Not a question, a demand. I mean, you woke up this morning without any indication that your prison time was over. And, there, and God does this in our lives. You will be in prison and you will wonder, you'll be in the pit and wonder, when is this over? And, and in God's timing, he will raise you out and call you to something different. But now you're being escorted out of the dungeon that you've called home for far too long. This was in God's timing. Verse 14, God sent for Joseph at once and he was quickly brought out of prison. Pharaoh doesn't want to have to wait on this. He's disturbed. Bring me a slave. There's no reason to, to draw this out. He had to be shaved and changed his clothes and he went and stood before for Pharaoh. Why, why, was he, why shave and change your clothes? Because you're wearing rags. Why shave? Well, the Egyptians at this time in their culture, the Egyptian men shaved their entire head and sometimes their entire body. There's, there's all these hieroglyphs of this. And actually, pharaohs were buried and they found these golden encrusted shaving kits so they could shave their head in the afterlife. Joseph has this Duck Dynasty flea-infested prison beard that's, you know, Western Slope, Colorado. It's popular here. Without, you know, without, without the brushes and the board, you know, all that stuff. Um, and so he gets, he gets completely shaved 
He's shaved. He's dressed in white linen. This dream was pressing. So he's being hurried along. Likely within the hour, you've moved from prison to outside the throne room. Probably within an hour, I'm guessing. Pharaoh's waiting on this. Can you imagine? I mean, you have gotten used to the dim lighting of the dungeon. And yeah, you're entering and you're, you're blinking at the, the bright lights of being out of the dungeon and the reflection of off all the gold and the opulence. You've gotten used to the, accustomed to the smell of men locked in close captivity with no running water, buckets, etc. And now you are here smelling the finest incense in the world. You become familiar with the chorus of groans and tears of prisoners throughout the day and throughout the night. But now, you're, as you're walking along, you're hearing the instruments of the court minstrels. In a whirlwind, you're entering the throne room of the most powerful person on the entire planet. And there, at the end of this golden path, there's a throne, and there he is, sitting there, looking at you, waiting for you. It's the king. It's Pharaoh, who's believed to be a god. You're brought forward and you were bowed low. And then Pharaoh speaks to you. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night, but no one can tell me what it means. He looks at the Magi, you know. But I've heard that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Now, Pharaoh's distressed. He's bringing, sla he's bringing slaves up to interpret dreams. Like this, I mean, like Hail Mary time, anything. And he cuts right to the chase, notice. He just says, let's not waste our time. I've heard if I tell you a dream, you can tell me. Now, now think of Joseph. Think of what all he's been through that got him to this plot of gold that he stands on now. He was in the pit, and God was with him. He was in the pain of slavery. God was with him. Years of prison, God was with him. And here he is in the palace in front of Pharaoh. And what does Joseph know? What is the only thing he knows? God's with me. I don't really know what's going to happen right now. But I know God's with me. I, I, bet he, I bet he was wondering what was happening. I bet he was praying internally. And we see in Joseph's answer that comes next that he is not who he was. He is not the kid we met chapters ago, or with Potiphar, or in the pit, or even in the prison. When asked if he can interpret dreams, do you know what comes with that if he does it successfully? Likely a ticket out of prison. He could have gone, oh yeah, yeah, tell me your dream. I could help you for sure. How does he answer? He says this, it's beyond my power to do this. Sorry, I can't do it. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. He, he, notice he doesn't take this opportunity to plead his case. Well, while I have you here, Pharaoh, did you know that Potiphar's wife? <laughs> he doesn't, do, no, no, he's humble. He says, it's not me. This is beyond my power, but I want you to catch the boldness here too. He's humble and he's bold. It's God. Saying it's God to the most powerful man on the planet who's considered a God is boldness. Joseph is saying, listen, you may be the God king, but you need the help of the one and only God. You might not know what this means, God king, but there is a God in heaven who could tell me. You see, there's a strength that a Jesus follower can stand in when they know who they are and whose they are. 
and they trust God and they know that he loves them. A person who is rooted in faith stands in a security that the world can't rattle. Not even a God king. Joseph is 100% secure here, even though he is a stranger in a strange land, a slave prisoner standing before the most powerful person on the planet. Security in God comes from intimacy with God. In Joseph's time in the pit, he cried out to God with great need. During his time working in a job that he didn't want under Potiphar, God was with him and Joseph learned that it was not his own self to have faith in, but had faith in God. When he was faced with temptation, he, he stood in security of character and integrity, knowing how God would ask him to behave, and he resisted temptation. When thrown into the prison for a crime he didn't commit, perhaps the only thing he could hold on to was that God was with him, and I will keep my faith in him. He knew who he was in God's eyes. No matter what circumstance, no matter what pit, job, purpose, slavery, prison, he knew who he was and he knew whose he was and we know that because he stands before Pharaoh and knows these things. 17. So Pharaoh told Joseph his dream. I'm gonna skip through that because the Pharaoh recounts the dream of the, the seven cattle and the seven, all those things. And in verse 25, we move down. Joseph, here's the dream. He responded, both of Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God is telling Pharaoh in advance what he's about to do. Pharaoh, a God king, yet he's limited and he needs a God to tell him something prophetic, something that will happen in the future. Joseph continues with God-given interpretation, words of knowledge. The seven healthy cows and the seven healthy heads of grain both represent seven years of prosperity. The seven thin and seven scrawny cows that came up later, um, seven head, thin heads of grain withered by the east wind, they represent seven years of famine. This will happen just as I described it. Like, this is your dream to a T. The one who gave you the dream is giving me the interpretation. For God has revealed to Pharaoh in advance what he's about to do. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt. But afterwards, there will be seven years of famine so great the prosperity will be forgotten. Famine will destroy the land. Now, if you're Pharaoh and that's your land, what do you think? The famine will be so severe that even the memory of the good years will be erased. As for having two similar dreams, it means these events have been decreed by God and he will soon make them happen. Pharaoh's jaw just hits the ground. Oh. Joseph is giving divine interpretation that God granted him. But notice what he does next. Joseph switches from divine interpretation to divine wisdom, which God also gives him. 33, therefore, because of the interpretation, let me give you some godly wisdom. Pharaoh should find an intelligent, he's telling Pharaoh what to do. Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Pharaoh, you should put someone else in charge of the entire land of Egypt. You're not good enough. I mean, I mean okay. then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the food and produce in the good years that are ju just ahead and bring it into Pharaoh's storehouses, store it away, and guard it so there will be food in the cities. That way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land your kingdom, Pharaoh. A bold move. He wasn't asked for his opinion. He wasn't asked for his wisdom. He was asked for interpretation. 
but he tells Pharaoh to go get somebody and put them in charge. For Pharaoh, though, we, this must have, the interpretation, the wisdom must have, must have rang true in his heart. It must have sunk deep in. And we see this in 37. Joseph's suggestions, his suggestions, do this or otherwise you're ruined, his suggestion, were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked the officials, can, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly, no one else is intelligent or as wise as you. The magicians, ah! <laughs> Something has happened that's amazing. All, all the greatest minds, the greatest spiritualism that he could gather had nothing on one person submitted to God with God's spirit speaking through them. The greatest of the earth of this time of spiritualism and wisdom on man's and women's accounts, one humble slave filled with the spirit of God spoke truth that no one else on the planet could give. And, when, and Joseph, when asked, he made it clear, didn't he? Only God, only God could do this. So Pharaoh is forced to recognize that there is something or someone working in this, that's beyond his normal culture. This God that Joseph speaks of is informing Joseph is so powerful. The, the language in the Hebrew actually says, Pharaoh says, this man is filled with a divine spirit. I don't think that Pharaoh converted or understands who Yahweh, the God of gods, is at this moment. He just sees that some, someone is speaking through this kid. The, have we seen this kind of spirit in any of our wise men? Have we seen this before? We have not. Now, what does a powerful ruler do when he comes into contact with someone with power? He wants it. And so Pharaoh recognizes it. And this dream is alarming him and threatening his entire kingdom. He's in a place of great need, and Joseph is now in a place of great power. Verse 40. Pharaoh continues, you will be in charge of my court. All my people will take orders from you. I can just see everybody looking around like, what just happened? Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a higher rank than yours. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring, the ring that you can do anything with, the, the rubber stamp of all rubber stamps. He places it on Joseph's finger. He dresses him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. Then he had Joseph ride in his chariot. Like, go for a joy ride is the second command. And wherever Joseph went, there's these people yelling, kneel down. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. And Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh, but no one will lift a hand or foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval, Joseph. <laughs> Joseph had been in prison an hour ago where he'd been forgotten, where he'd been stuck, where he'd been down in the dumps wondering if life would ever turn out for him. And while God had been preparing Joseph in the pit and with Potiphar and the prison, God, the Waymaker, had been bringing his purposes into place in the palace. And at just the right time, when Joseph was prepared and the circumstances were pressing, God leveled up Joseph into his purpose and position for such a time as this. From iron manacles to gold bracelets, from iron around his neck to gold necklaces, from prison slop to the king's table, from dim lit rooms and hard floors to sleep on to Egyptian sheets, you know? 
Joseph gave God credit before this happened because Joseph had been prepared and he landed in faith with God throughout his struggles. Joseph was prepared in the pit in prison with Potiphar for that moment to stand in faith knowing it wasn't him. Joseph knows who raised him to this place. Joseph knows how he got to the palace. He's not believing, man, what luck. I'm, I am pretty smart, actually. You know, maybe Pharaoh's on to some. No, 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 none of that. He knows exactly. Joseph got to know God when he was a tear-streaked teenager in a pit crying out for help. Joseph got to know God when he was shackled as a slave in a caravan watching his entire family and life disappear behind him. Joseph got to know God when he was working for Potiphar, a job he never wanted. Joseph got to know God when he was falsely accused and thrown into prison. Joseph got to know God in those times. And you get to know God in a pit in a way you never get to know God on the couch. You get to know God in a deep way in the prisons of life that you never know God in the palaces. You come to know God in his heart when you're sick in a way you don't get to know him when you're living in success. You get to know God in the dark valley in a way you'll never know him on the summit. I have come to know God when I was on my face crying into the carpet like rug burns on my gums, yelling in just brokenness and tears. I've come to know God and in that way, in a way I never knew him when I was on my feet and smiling. I've come to intimately trust God in my heart. Not because life went good for me, but because life went bad for me. And in those moments, I was met by a God who I never would have met when the sun was shining and life was good. And my children... If they only knew their daddy when they got good grades and they were obedient and they won their games and things were good, they wouldn't know their daddy's heart for them. But when life hurts my children, when they lose, when they are mocked, when they are dejected and when they are sick, when I hold my daughter's tear-streaked face in front of me and speak kindly and lovingly to her, when I wrap my son in my arms and just hold him, my children know their daddy in a way that no one else gets to. They know my heart. And it's when our life hurts and we're in our Father's arms that we learn to trust and we learn faith and we learn a side of God in the valley you never find in the summit. The pit is a blessing as it forges intimacy with God. Working for Potiphar is a blessing as it, it builds trust in God. Working or in the prison is a blessing because it forces and forges deep faith in God. We learn to lead in God, lean on God in the prison in ways that we never have to in the palace. Joseph dreamed big dreams and, and God had placed them in his heart. But Joseph had to grow into the type of man who could stand in the palace and know that it was God who got him there. 17-year-old Joseph would have stood there and gone, now this is what I'm talking about. This is it. When I was in my 20s, I was, I was on a walk with my mentor, the, the pastor of the, the big church there, and we, he was, we were doing some, some discussion, and, and we, you know, Georgia has these rolling hills and kudzu and all this stuff. We're walking along the big, this big mega cam campus, and we come over the hill, and there's this big church in, in front of us, and, and, and my mentor, he told me, he said, someday, God will get a, someday God's gonna give you a church. But he's gonna make sure you don't need it before he does. 
And there's some desires of your heart that God wants to give you. But it's in the pit with Potiphar and the prison that we are formed and forged, built and broken. I had no idea what that meaning was when I was back there in my 20s. I had not yet been to the pit. Joseph thought, what Joseph may have thought was a curse at first was his calling. And what you may think in your life is too much is leading to a whole lot more than you could ever imagine. Verse 45, so Joseph took charge of the entire land of Egypt. Let that just sink in. We've been with Joseph. We've, we've seen him being shackled in tears and we've seen his life. Joseph took charge of the entire land of Egypt. But there's one verse, don't put it up yet. There's one verse I want to end on today because we've been following, don't, don't read ahead, you readers. Um, uh, we've been following Joseph for weeks. Weeks we've been doing this. We saw him, he was 17, this, just this, this cocky 17-year-old, hey, I'm gonna have, you're, you're gonna all bow to me. Then he goes to the pit. How long was he in the pit? Then he goes, sold into slavery. How long did he work for Potiphar? He goes to prison. How long? How long were these seasons? How long, how much breaking was there? How much building was there? How long was this? Joseph was 17 when he was first cast into the pit. Verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he began serving in the court of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. 30. Now you might be well older than 30, but let this be the indication. That's not the number that matters. It's the time that passed. You see, we want our character lessons to be microwaved, quick and painless, but there's often a pressure cooker involved. Left to our own comfort zones, we get stagnant. Left to our own routines and ruts, we, we might not grow the, the character we need. Remember, God is more interested in your character than he is your happiness. And there are seasons of life, we must admit, we aren't happy. Now, when I say that he's not interested in your happiness, I mean he loves you dearly. It's because of his dear love for you. He wants to teach you character to have peace and joy regardless. Well, there are seasons that are hard but you may already be able to look back at some seasons in your life and see, because of that, I am who I am now. I talked to someone right after the first service who's been through something excruciating that I, this past year. Excruciating. And she goes, I would, I would do it again to be where I am right now. Often there's a grit and a holy fortitude that's forged in people who follow in Joseph's footsteps. James, the brother of Jesus, puts it this way. Dear brothers and sisters, he's talking to you, when troubles of any kind, there's a couple key words here. First of all, it's when, not if. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. <laughs> Why? For you know that when your faith is tested, when you're in the pit, when you're in the Potiphar, when you're in the prison, when your faith is tested, your endurance, your, that, that perseverance, that holy grit begins to grow. So let it grow, people. For when your endurance, when your perseverance and your grit are fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete and mature and not lacking anything. What's the point today? You may be in the pit. God is with you. You won't be there forever, but you can be sure he's shaping you, preparing you for something. You may be in a monotonous job like Potiphar, lacking purpose, don't know what you're supposed to do in life. Know this, God's with you. You won't be there forever, and he's building in you a deep and holy grit you're gonna need for what's next. And you may be in a prison of your own making or one that you've been put in by life circumstances. Know this, God's with you. He won't have you there forever. And the testing of your faith is forming in you something more precious than gold, a perseverance of faith, 
a forging steadfastness that you're going to need for the next season because your season in life will change. So do this. Don't lose heart. Don't lose faith. Don't cave in character. And don't forget God is with you. Your pit isn't the end. You won't work for Potiphar forever. You won't be in the pit and won't always, or the prison won't always hold you. And more than that, like Joseph, God is preparing you in each of those areas for what he has next for you. Orchard, whatever you are in right now, whatever trial and valley you find yourself in, remember the life of Joseph. Remember this life. Remember that this season of your life will pass, that God is with you, and that God's preparing you for what's next. And the next verse I want to sing deep in your heart. This is one to memorize. This is one to, 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 to plant within yourself. It says this, Romans 8, 28. No, no, no. That God causes everything. Wait, wait, what about that? What about that thing that happened in my childhood? What about that thing I'm going through now? What about that circumstance? What about that death? What about that loss? What about that diagnosis? What about that divorce? What about the debt? What about that? God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Do you love God? Then this promise is for you and your pain and pit. Have you come to faith in Jesus? Then you are called to his purpose. And then you, therefore, you can stand on that verse firmly in faith, knowing that God will not let your seasons of pain and, and pit and trial go to waste. You can stand in faith, knowing that he is working everything for the good of you. He'll, you know what he does with our bad times, our hard times? He redeems them. He claims them. He uses them. And he works even those moments, those, those, those things for his glory in us and through us. The, the worst things that have happened in my life that I've talked very honestly up around here in the last couple of weeks, God has used those for his glory, for his good. I never would have thought it would happen. Orchard, I don't know what you are in. I don't know what season of life, but I want you to see that God truly is the way-making God, that he has to make a way in you, so he's preparing you, whatever you're in, but that also God is working ahead of you and above you in places, preparing for you a purpose that you get to move into as you're prepared within. So what do you do? Faithfully listen, faithfully obey, love God, because you can be sure he's moving ahead of you. Do you think Joseph, when he was in prison, could feel like, oh, God's moving in the palace. I can feel it. No. There are, there are monotonous days in Joseph's dark dungeon life where he had no clue God was working anywhere on his behalf, just that God was with him. But God was working, wasn't he? And you can know that God is working right now in your life for you, making a way for what he has next for you. This next song, I want us to stand. I want us to worship the God who makes ways. And whether you are in a pit or whether you are in Potiphar or prison or you find yourself in a palace, can we plant a flag of praise and sing to the God who's the way maker? And here's what else I know. There are those of you in here who need extra prayer. You are hurting. You are tired. You are hopeless. You needed this message today, but you need something more. I want to pray for you. I'm going to be over here. I'm going to have uh, some elders over there. I'm going to have some other uh, trusted people in the back. Uh, go, don't miss these opportunities. If you're online with us live, message us or DM us. Email me if you're listening to it later. But let us pray for you. Don't miss these opportunities. Let me pray for you as we stand. Let's stand.
Father God, Yahweh, the way maker, who right now is preparing these hearts, and today's message was, was translated directly to somebody's life. And Father, I pray that you would show that you are with us and you are working ahead of us. I pray that you would hear our praise this morning as we declare you as our way maker.